and welcome to Positive Spark Plug. I'm your host, Candace, and I'm so happy you're joining me. I hope you are ready to receive and then give all of the positivity your heart and this world deserves and desires. This episode, I am so excited for you guys to get a listen to. This gentleman is a phenomenal man making crazy positive impact in the world. He is mastering the kettlebell and life. His name is Mike Salemi. So buckle up and take a listen. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very good. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. It's very nice meeting you. I'm so excited. (laughs) <laughs> likewise likewise so i'm sorry you had a pretty sounds like you said you lost your wallet or something i did i was at a, a power of professional speaking um workshop conference this weekend and i was packing up my stuff to head home uh, while well, getting myself ready to have my final day and i'm like this feels really light, my purse, and I checked. I destroyed my room, I destroyed my luggage, it's nowhere to be found, and I went to the hotel, they haven't found anything. So my guess is, is it slipped out while I was at dinner some at some point, and somebody else decided that they wanted it more than giving it back to the hotel to find out who it actually belonged to. It was a lesson for me to uh, definitely try and be my best self in such a shitty situation because I caught myself almost turning into a shitty person (laughs) towards others that were only trying to help me. And I was like, no, Candace, you can't be shitty to those people that are trying to help you just because you're in a shitty situation. So nothing I can do except for move forward and try and get new ID and stuff like that. So yeah. Today's a new day. Today today is a new day. Where are you based out of? Uh, Canada, right in Ontario. Like London, have you, London, Ontario? Yeah. Okay, dope. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. All righty. So are you ready? Yeah, I'm good to go. I'm good to awesome. go. So you are a kettlebell champion. You... Uh, you travel around the world doing presentations, speaking, doing competitions. But what I want to know is I want a little bit more of a, your background. So where did you grow up? Uh, what were some of your interests, hobbies? Uh, tell me a little bit more about you and what the world knows about you. Can you give us some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So like I was born in South Florida in Fort Lauderdale, but at a pretty young age, I moved to the Bay Area. So, and since a young age, like since a young kid, I mean, my best friend's always been my brother and we're, we've, we've grown up together, lived together. We've worked together for multiple years. And so he really like was, was my example growing up and he was heavily involved in gymnastics. And so, you know, as a a young, I think he was doing gymnastics, like since he was like five years old. And I'll remember as like a young kid, like I did not want to go to gymnastics. It was like heavily encouraged by my parents but it wasn't until years later that I really developed an interest in and in, 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 like a love for it more or less and uh but I was fortunate to have my brother who kind of paved the way for me but growing up I played all sports from basketball baseball 
gymnastics, uh, you name it. But I love the weightlifting and the conditioning aspect of gymnastics, which I've seen kind of carry in, in the rest of my life for sure. Um, so besides gymnastics, what was your uh, what was your favorite sport to play? Like I know you liked all of them, but you know, I would say when I was 14 or 15, when I transitioned out of gymnastics, um, just due to an injury, that's when I headed into competitive powerlifting. And like, I enjoyed gymnastics, but it was it was it was more like I had a great coach. I loved the strength and conditioning aspect. And when I found powerlifting, it was like it was one of the first things that I found. One, I was like quite like I I, I was good at, and I loved sharing what I was learning. And uh, I just like dove deep. I still I was just cleaning out my uh, one of my rooms the other day here in the house, and I found like I have man every single West Side Barbell uh, not DVD VHS from like the old days. And uh, so I remember all those and, and loving watching those and. I remember watching those VHSs and uh, Louis speaks so, so fast that I would take like mountains of notes and watch every video multiple times. So powerlifting was like, that was probably the, the biggest love that I've had. Uh, I loved kettlebell sport as well, but I would say I got probably most into powerlifting of everything that I've gotten to do for sure. Ah, so gymnastics, um, just doing some research on you. Um, what are some of the lessons that um, gymnastics have taught you that you have implemented in your powerlifting, your kettlebells? Um, I know you do a lot of uh, breathing in, like in work and all that kind of stuff. What has gymnastics uh, brought to your, your world outside of it? I think just honestly, just like uh, body awareness, like, First and foremost, like one of the biggest things that I try and teach today is getting people into their body. Now that could be due to like uh, introspective type work for sure, but also just teaching better movement quality. Like for me, performance and movement quality are hand in hand. And so whether it's firefighters that I'm working with, kettlebell sport athletes, whoever it is, it's like I'll always try and establish good movement awareness, good mobility, and body control. And that's really what gymnastics kind of opened the world for me. And I owe gymnastics a lot, a lot of, of that. And also, too, like I just remember multiple times just being scared of going to the gym, trying to learn new skills. And every single time that I would go to the gym, it was like, oh my God, I have to, you know, learning this new skill, I'm so scared. And, I really feel like working through fears has been a huge catalyst that started gymnastics as well. What was uh, what was your favorite gymnastic move that you would do? Was it on the bar, uh, the balance beam, just free body movement? What was it? Well, you know, I don't know if I had a favorite move, but for sure a favorite event. Like, I, I really, really, really enjoyed the rings uh, from the strength aspect. And so that was probably that, and I really enjoyed the vault um, as well. And so I think the strength aspect of the rings, and then also just like, I guess you could even think about it. When you're on the vault, it's like you're all in. Because, like, if you don't hit the, the springboard with enough power, you will not be catapulted over the vault and, and be able to perform that movement it is. So it's like it's an all or nothing thing. And so I think I, I enjoy that aspect about it as well. Nice. So it sounds like you're an all in kind of person. 
that's been like my personality most of my life and i've really tried to like take the good part of that but also kind of tame that down over the years as well but i'm yeah i'm very much even to this day like uh, yeah i like going all in on anything that, that i can sure. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely a good quality to have. Um, it's something that I definitely enjoy doing too. But it's when is appropriate to be all in, and when is it to not? You don't want to be one foot in, one foot out. But when is it that you kind of tamper back the all in? You're all in, but you're a little bit tampered back instead of just jumping face diving right in. I should say. Yeah, um, I, I think the awareness piece is the biggest thing. Like just yeah. knowing, knowing where your energy is, what my energy is, and like how am I managing? Why am I doing? Why am I going on? Is it from an ego place? Is it to satisfy the needs of others, or am I truly going all in because I, you know, I really believe in whatever it is, and, and I want to learn as much as possible so I can grow myself and, and help support others as well. So I think it depends on the awareness and where where that motivation is coming from. Yes. Um, so gymnastics, not trying to keep there, but did you do gymnastics because of an injury or did you injure yourself during gymnastics? Can you go a little bit more about your injuries and, and how gymnastics and, um, the competitive like weight training has all kind of combined and how did you heal yourself? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I got into gymnastics for sure because of my parents and my brother and like I feel like it's like served me so well like if and when I do have kids like gymnastics and some type of martial arts probably jujitsu are like the two things that are going to be mandatory for uh for whatever you know if I have kids and so so I feel very grateful and blessed but I actually got injured in gymnastics I had a pinched nerve in L5S1 and and it was like also during the time when i was having a growth spurt and so like i'm sure you and like anyone listening can imagine like it doesn't really serve you very well to be a tall gymnast so uh, i kind of like had a growth spurt injured my, my lower spine and then i just realized that i wasn't gonna go super far with gymnastics like i wasn't a phenomenal gymnast by any means i was good but i wasn't phenomenal and you know, then I hooked up with a chiropractor who happened to be a competitive powerlifter. And he was very competitive. He had, uh, he was a, in one organization, he was a, a bench press world champion and was just like a, a wealth of knowledge. His name was Mike Ludovico. And, and he was super instrumental in not only rehabbing me, but then once he identified that I really did love strength and I was a good kid and, and I really wanted to learn, he brought me into his gym, which was a basement powerlifting gym called the Palace Gym, which is no longer around. It was, everyone had a key, like everyone was just, there was like 16 to 18-ish of us. And it was like, it was super serious in there. And like, he took me under his wing as well as the owner of the gym. And I would spend every single hour from after school to nights to weekends just in there. And it was, it was very much a community. I mean, we would uh, you know, eat together a lot of times, do dinners, in-house competitions. Uh, we'd, we'd make wine together. We'd go pick grapes together. Um, we just did a lot of things together. And it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful um, maturing ground. Everyone around me was older. I was hands down the youngest guy. It might have been like one or two guys slightly around my age, maybe a few years older, 
but mostly you're talking like I was 14, 15, training with 30, 40, and older year olds. Wow. And, um, yeah, that was just a great, just a great environment. They're all good, good people, and uh, I learned a lot from them. Learned a lot. So that's and then once I found powerlifting, I started competing. I found I was like, wow, I actually have a talent for this, and and like my mindset around it is is I love love training and competing. And so it started with that, but then it really started branching out into how do how do I become a more whole athlete, someone who you know is. Uh, is more of like a vital athlete as opposed because a lot of times if you go to powerlifting competitions still to this day you're going to see a lot of like super heavy people you're going to see a lot of overweight people a lot of inflamed people and you see that in every sport uh i saw it in kettlebell sport i saw it in olympic weightlifting uh powerlifting maybe because it's like the test of someone's one rep max absolute strength like the bigger like the more functional muscle that you have uh the more you can potentially raise your number not to say you can't have your number being small and tiny uh but it's like that whole community is very large yes yes we have i have a couple power lifters that work here in the gym that i'm at and um the one gentleman just did his first meet actually and yeah he's He's just, he's a beast. And then I have um, Anastasia. I call her Wonder Woman. She just blows me away watching her, well, watching her lift. Um, I'm only like maybe 5'1", just a tiny petite little girl. I'm strong and I'm muscular, but I'm just floored watching these people lift that weight. I'm like, oh. the one day uh, Dan was just kind of doing his warm-up weight and I'm like holy fuck I get under the bar and I just put my hands on it I'm like take a picture I'm gonna say that this is my warm-up weight everyone that saw the picture were like yeah okay <laughs> you would get squished under the bar <laughs> so yeah it's it's a phenomenal um sight to see that that strength that people have within them and and the the mindset that they they get themselves into in order to have that body awareness and uh, making sure that their technique is correct, their breathing is tech like correct, and it's just yeah, it's an astonishing thing. Um, not so much my thing, just because of my size and stuff, but yeah, it definitely blows me away watching people. So um, I definitely want to get out to one of their meets and and watch others that uh, that are lifting as well. Um, so you got into powerlifting, how, and then you wanted to become kind of a more of a, a, a all around kind of a sports kind of guy, physical guy. Is that how the kettlebell got brought into play or how did you end up falling in love with the kettlebell? Man. So I was training at a gym in Columbus, Ohio, like a, a really well-known powerlifting gym called Westside Barbell. And so they were using, uh, you know, they were using kettlebells at that time, you know, so they had brought out, uh, I don't remember if it was Pavel or Steve Cotter to train their guys and uh, kind of show them the basics. But then okay. that, that's really where I first started. And so when I returned back to California from, from spending a month out there training, I was like, I got to get these things. And then once I got them, I was like, these things are amazing. My powerlifting numbers worked out really well. And I was, when I was, yeah, when I was 18, 17, 18 is when I started being more of a strength and conditioning coach. I was an assistant in the beginning and then worked, I was a strength and conditioning coach for a number of colleges. And I was like, how do I find 
a tool that I can use to develop the performance abilities of these athletes, but also something that's a little bit more portable. Even though I was still using a lot of the power lifts and the Olympic lifts with those guys, it's just looking back now, like I just realized, and, and I knew it then, but like when you have, let's just say a group of tennis players, right? And their sport is tennis. Yes. Like they, they typically aren't going to have a background in Olympic weightlifting. They're not. And no. when you have a group of guys who don't have a background in that and that have a short time frame to train with you, and then their priority is spending time on the court, it's like you have to choose your battles as a coach and not that a lot of those movements aren't great and phenomenal and, can't, and they can be scaled and such. It's like they just take also a lot of space. So with the kettlebell, like I could find yeah. a – portable tool, a versatile tool, uh, that would be great for, for those guys. You know, I was looking for a tool that I could use with those guys. And once I identified that the kettlebell, one, I enjoyed it for powerlifting, then two, I was like, this could be great for these guys. I was like, I just want to study everything there is to know about kettlebells. And so I got certified. I think my first certification was through the IKFS product organization in 2009. And what was so neat was, and it's just like, it's funny how the universe works, but at that certification, there was uh, two of the assistant coaches were like very, very instrumental in building the U.S. kettlebell sport movement and scene. And it was a guy named John Wild Buckley and Jason Dolby. And so John Buckley just happened to be living in Berkeley, which is not far from me. And, okay. you know, so they kind of saw, they saw potential in me and, and like we really hit it off. And he was like, at the end of the course, like maybe, maybe you should take this, you know, give this kettlebell sport thing a try. And I was like, okay, that would be really cool. I would love to. So we hooked up and then he coached me for a number of years. We went to Russia together. Um, and that's really where I had no idea what kettlebell sport was. And I was like, wow, it's Olympic movements, so clean and jerks and half jerk, but done for 10 minutes nonstop. I was oh. like, that, from like a powerlifting background, like a one rep max background, I was like, this is insane. Yeah. How would, so how, like you can't put, the, like once the 10 minutes starts, like you can't put the kettlebell down? I wish. You cannot. And you can't, you can't like, um, so, like, let's say you were doing a two kettlebell clean and jerk. Your only rest is at the chest level or overhead. So, like, let's say you wanted to stop midway but not put it down, like, just hang, like, by your wayside. You can't do that. You have to keep this continuous uh, momentum going, except unless you stop in the rack position or in the overhead lockout. And, wow. Yeah. Out, of what, out of the two locks, which, which one is easier? Like, they both don't seem – You know <laughs> – they're both really challenging. What I would say for sure is the one at chest level because what we do in kettlebell sport is we use specific like positional strategy to gain moments of energetic rest. And so there's like a specific postural compensation where we rest our elbows, like we like you, you'll see like a like extreme rounding of the back. Namely, okay. that elbows can reach the like the iliac crest or the pelvic crest. And once you rest your elbows on your pelvis, then you can not fully turn off the shoulders, but you can pretty much turn off a lot of musculature in the body. It would almost be like, imagine like the difference between standing, uh, just standing, you know, all day 
and then like leaning against a chair or like sitting partially on a chair. It's like certain postural muscles, in fact, turn off because of that. And then uh, you get that moment of rest. Whereas in the overhead position, if you have a perfect lockout and everything is stacked joint after joint after joint, it's like there will be that position of weightlessness for sure. But you still have your arms locked out overhead, which is going to take like triceps, it's going to take musculature, shoulders, delts, etc. cetera. Uh, and then just the stability, like the further the bells are away from the base of the support, the stabilization of the goes up incrementally. So it's like you have to stabilize that earth and all the joints as well. Wow, that's that's insane. So, is there um, like is there a fluid like so? Say if you're doing the clean and jerk with the kettlebell, is that your movement for the ten minutes, or are you going from like clean and jerk to like kettlebell swing to like other movements, or like is there a flow for the kettlebell like ten minutes, or is it just like as many clean and jerks as you can in those ten minutes, and when you need to rest, you rest. Uh, minus when you rest, you, there's no rest. Minus that, uh, it's just a continuous. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, man, I wish there was a rest period. <laughs> but uh, I meant like rest with it hanging on your shoulder, <laughs> kind yeah, of. Yeah. Um, no, it's just that same movement over and over and over. And and that's also you know one of the reasons why you know I'd experienced some injuries with kettlebell sport is because. It's the same movement, same pattern. Even though outside I would do other things to like help yep. round out my training for sure. And I was doing a lot of recovery modalities, acupuncture, weekly massage, uh, neurosomatic therapy. I was doing my flexibility work. I was doing all the things, all the right things. Um, but it's just, you know, anytime, anytime you're going to compete in a sport that has like one fixed plane of movement, one fixed pattern and repetition, like you're going to experience pattern overload. Like you, you, you have like, you have to, in order to develop the skills and the motor programs for that movement. Yes. So it kind of comes to some extent, it comes with the territory, but um, you know, that was, and I, and I love it. Like, that's why I love powerlifting that I can be very, like my personality, like I can go very deep on one thing. And, um, but the, the light and the shadow side of that is the shadow side is the risk of injury goes up. And then the shadow side as well is what I found was as I started growing and developing as just a person and as an athlete, like now I've taken about a year break, oh, maybe more, a little over a year break from kettlebell sport. And I love that sport. But now I'm like, I would say I could probably not come anywhere close to lifting what I did when I was fully competing for 10 years and that was all I thought about or even in powerlifting. But now I'm for sure the most athletic I've ever been because now my training is like Bulgarian back, soupless ball, kettlebell, band training, sprint training, do uh, some type of grappling once in a while. And so just as overall like athleticism and how my body feels, like I've never, never felt this just overall athletic and healthy which is now like my dream, you know, moving forward for sure. Um, what, what were your weights and, and what did you, um, cause you've won, you won some kettlebell sports. Um, how, how did that feel? Um, what was the, what, what was your mindset um, going into those sports? How did you get your mind right? And um, not only for the kettlebell sports, but I know you've also like, 
have created Mastering the Kettlebell. So you've taken the kettlebell and what you do and you're now mastering it. You're helping others master the kettlebell. How do you get your mind right in um, your competition and just using the kettlebell? Because that thing is swinging and it's not the most stable. So how do you get your mind right so that you're self-aware, your body's aware and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in kettlebell sport, I was, you know, I was, I went through a lot of, a lot of just, you know, struggles and battles with that sport, dealing with injuries and such. But, you know, once, once I hooked up, especially with Paul Check as one of my, like one of my main coaches, one of my main mentors, and he's really, he was, he was hugely instrumental. Yes, in, in, in the technical aspect, but I would say more so in like building a more resilient, durable athlete in person, and then looking at all the other factors from mental, emotional to spiritual, and how that can really shape everything. And in kettlebell sport, I was fortunate enough, I, in 2017, in one organization, uh, the WAKSC, I won the world championships in that. And then I've hit the, uh, there's a title, kind of like a black belt level. And uh, uh, so I was able to hit that in the Queen Jerker long cycle. And then I was also able to do it in uh, the other classic event, which is called biathlon. So it's a 20 minute event, 10 minutes of uh, just jerks. So chest overhead, chest overhead. And then, and then 10 minutes of a single kettlebell snatch with one hand switch. And um, so I think there's only, I think there's less than five of us in the US who have reached master of sport in both of those combined. Uh, so there's about probably five men who have done that. So that was, a huge like life achievement and to do so and like reach there in a healthy and happy way yes so that's kind of like what i've done at least in the sport and i was also going after some other goals like trying to be the first north american to hit that master sport with double 40 kilo bells the professional division is double 32 kilos so like 72 ish pounds each uh, okay I, I got very close within uh i think one rep one to two reps multiple times with double 40 kilo bells. And, uh, but I think that was, uh, I think that was more of a mental block than it was a physical block. I think uh, that's still something I'm excited to go after, but it just, it's so hard. So, and it takes every ounce of commitment and uh, to, to really do it. So, but my mindset, you know, around, like I've always been a very big on routine and like, automating processes and so when let's just say it could be on competition day like really understanding from let's just say from a nutritionary perspective nutrition perspective like what foods do i know i do really well on in training before competition the morning of competition i try and remove as many variables as possible so that okay. that way one i already know like i'm going to be feeling good that day yeah and so a lot of times when i would travel and compete i would pre-cook all my meals uh vacuum seal them freeze them take them like in a freezer lunch box and like i could fit 14 meals in two like freezer lunch bags that i have and so like if i'm eating two of those meals a day at least like least like i could be away for you know, seven days and if it was a shorter trip i'd have all my meals covered and so you know that was a huge part because there's a huge connection between body mind and so like it's hard to like if if my gut's super inflamed and like i'm eating whatever just like 
burgers and fries and pizza or whatever it is like what a lot of people do after the weigh-ins you know after yes. wait they do that that's very common then i just know i'm going to just my, my bowel movements are going to be off i'm going to feel sluggish i'm not going to be like like my my nervous system is going to be like one two or three steps slower and you just can't or at least like it's, it's like you want to perform at your highest level so my nutritional plan would be like just on point. I would, and I, and I honestly, like my nutritional philosophy is just like, I wouldn't call myself paleo vegetarian. Like for me, I think the best way I think I heard someone say it is like, I'm a flexitarian. So it's, uh, flexible with my diet. I have a more of an intuitive eating approach. Um, I just went two weeks going vegetarian, but I also buy, uh, a full grass-finished, grass-fed cow from a local farm as well. So it just depends where I'm at and what I'm feeling. And, that, and I'll, I'll allow my intuition and how my body and how I'm performing guide my nutritional choices. But always, always, like, food quality is the number one, supporting local, small farm, uh, variety, nutrient-density, eating things like organ meat. But beyond the, the nutritional aspect, like, uh, meditation has been huge for me. So incorporating some type of meditation practice, visualization. Uh, I always have like my music like that I like to kind of help get me in that zone. And those are some of the tools that I've used that help, have helped me for sure from a competitive standpoint. Now, do you, um, with your mastering the kettlebell, um, talk, talk a little bit. Do you go into mindset with, with whoever is taking your course, like mastering the kettlebell course? Do you go, is it all around? Are you trying to help them all around? Or is it just kind of, here's the kettlebell, here's some movements, here's how you can teach it? Um, or do you bring that whole aspect of nutrition, mindset, sleeping, and all that kind of stuff to your, your the people that are wanting to learn? Yeah, so, totally, yeah, it's a great question. So with that program, you, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to even just revise the marketing and the way I kind of talk about it because it's way, way more than a course and a program. It's like, it's probably better stated as just like the most comprehensive online resource out there. And so like it goes through on every single main kettlebell lift, it goes through every single step of a self-assessment process that someone can go through to pre-qualify themselves if they have like joint prerequisites. Like before someone, like as great as a movement, let's say as a kettlebell snatch could be for cardiovascular conditioning, strength conditioning, total body, overhead movement. If someone doesn't have the joint stability in the shoulder, in the teeth spine, uh, they're gonna set themselves up for injury. And so I take people through like the super thorough step-by-step -step process on how to self-qualify themselves. And then if they fail in any one of the metrics for that particular lift, where can they go from like a, a body awareness and stability? And there's a whole track for that. Or where can they go to start assessing flexibility, mobility, and the whole track for that so that they can create pretty much a customized corrective program before they even load themselves or their clients. And yes. So there's a whole like there's a whole track for like movement qualifications, joint health, flexibility, body control, and then there's a whole progression in terms of how do you do how do you progress into all of these movements safely, effectively? What are coaching drills? Every single movement 
there's specific strategies and breathing rhythms for every single lift and not only for every single lift, depending on your goal. If you're trying to maximize strength and power, what is the breathing rhythm that's going to be best for that? And then also if you're trying to maximize endurance and you're trying to, if you're a CrossFit or you want to maximize volume or kettlebell sport or you want to be a, like you're, you're a marathon runner, a cyclist, you want a bigger gas tank, what are the breathing rhythms that you can learn for that? And so it's pretty much, you know, especially from that perspective, there's more information in it than two full-blown certifications. And I think, you know, not only just my experience as an athlete for sure, and having been injured and rehabbed and all that stuff, but also like just combining all of the different schools of thought. I've been through like pretty much every single kettlebells, pretty much school of thought certification level out there. And, you know, I took what I really liked from each one and then maybe what I would have done differently. And so there's different tracks that you can go through based off of your specific goals. There's, um, uh, also Paul check is in there. He did like a bunch of lectures on working in. So to your question, like balancing the introspective approach, the energy cultivating side, uh, that's in there. Um, program design, like there, there's, there's so, so much, there is no nutrition. I will say that and no sleep stuff, but in terms of balancing working out with working in and everything I talk to you and then like, there's over 450 instructional videos in it. So yeah, I, I, uh, going, talking about, to our point, talking about going all in, like. You went I, all in. I went all, it's, it's my life's experience and what I really, it was like what I really wanted to give and, and, and be part of my legacy. And when I was creating it, and, uh, it was my, my, it's been my first online program you know, I was getting advice, like, how do I create an online program for people? And someone told me to this, this guy told me two things. He goes, you have two routes. Mike. The first route is you can do all the research on all, you know, the other programs out there, the other kettlebell stuff. You can use that to see and fill in, you know, what they do well, what they don't. You can create your system based off of your competitors. Uh, or you can not look at anyone, their online programs. And you can just create what you feel exactly what's needed. And I was like, shit, okay. If I create what's needed, this is going to be a very long journey and a very long process. Um, you know, having taught, you know, around the world and been a strength and conditioning coach and everything that I've shared with you right now. And so it took me over, not, not to mention 15 plus years of experience to develop it, but you know, 13 months of literally knee deep, like this was my full-time gig with a pretty much a videographer who, uh, who's now, now he works for Paul Check. He does programs for Montauk Media. But at that time, he pretty much went all in on, on me. And, and um, we, it was two of us going full-time for 13 months. And, you know, so it's, it's really my life experience, my life's work, and truly what I feel uh, it's, you know, a trainer should know. And, and all the assessments, for example, you can apply them to other things. You can apply them to barbells. You can apply them to any other tool. Uh, I use the kettlebell because it was, you know, the tool that I wanted to create that program off of. But it's, you know, not only two certifications of kettlebells, involved, but it's a full-blown pre-assessment program working in. And um, so that was going all in or what it looked like for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. So this is 
I, one word I liked uh, that I heard you say is um, your legacy. This is a part of what you're wanting to to leave as your legacy. And for um, for you, nobody builds a legacy, and it's not just you. Anybody, nobody can build a legacy without having some kind of setbacks and and roadblocks. Now, I know some of your injuries have. Um, definitely been some of those but can you go over maybe some other um, roadblocks that you've maybe had doing to your coaching your your sports creating this um, I love that you're um, that you are so connected with Paul I actually got connected with Paul I'm doing his level one holistic life coaching in April um, I'm super excited for that um, I'm working through a scientific back training right now, and then I have his advanced program design that I'm going to be working uh, working through. So I love him. I love his stuff. I love listening to his podcast. That's how I got connected to you was through Paul, um, just watching his, his Instagram, and uh, you were on one of his um, little podcasts and um, I was like oh I want to get I want to get to know him more <laughs> I want to reach out what's the worst he can say no well whatever then next person but you said yes so I was excited um so what were some of um your roadblocks and how are you overcoming them so that you can create the legacy that you are desiring and seeing in your mind yeah man there's so many roadblocks even just like I mean you know what, when I think about it, like there was for sure roadblocks actually producing the program on a zero budget. Like we had no budget. Like if people knew what we were doing, like I'm borrowing my buddy's gym, you know, for 13 months at like odd hours of the day, 5 a.m. Midnight we're in there shooting the gym's empty. I had to drive an hour to go there. Um, man, if people knew like, uh, <laughs> We, I would pick up my video guy on the side of the road where he would bring his whole desktop computer because he lived on a farm at that time. Uh, and so <laughs> he would literally get dropped off to a place on the side of the road. I would pick him up. We'd load up his whole desktop computer in my car, everything, every time we wanted to do work, you know, at my place. And like, um, yeah, if people knew what, what we went through to, to bring that thing to life. So there was definitely a, a number of technical challenges and trying to learn and put things together for sure. But I think honestly, the biggest roadblocks have been myself. And, and like, you know, it's something that I've been really working on. And I, and I can say like, I've, I've definitely had some breakthroughs in this, but you know, I think with every like, high achiever, maybe, maybe not every, but most high achievers, where you see them, when I'm speaking from myself and personal experience, it's like, the drive to be a high achiever in sport and business typically comes from, not typically, but a lot of times it comes from insecurities. It's like, okay, I'm not secure myself, so I'm going to overcompensate and push, push, and push, create. And, you know, I know that the feelings of just not feeling good enough uh, have been something that I felt for, for many years. And so, okay, with this kettlebell program, no matter what I do, it's not enough. So, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to you know, I'm gonna put you know extra fifty videos on the snatch, and at the end of the day, yes, it does produce that program, but it's like, where is it coming from? Or like, you know, would it be different if it came from a different place? And so, a lot of the personal growth work that I've been doing is just working through those limiting beliefs, 
And, and so it's it's like less coming from a place of fear and more coming from a place of just genuine love and expression. And don't get me wrong, that is there too. It is for sure. But yep. you know, I'd be lying if I said like there wasn't those 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 moments where it's just like, man, this this still isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. People aren't gonna like it or so working through that has been incredibly just free. And um, I think honestly the biggest blockers have been myself. So what um I for one, I um, I love how honest and real you are about that because a lot of the times people that um, are, you know, high performers or have a lot of, you know, followers or people watching them in whatever they may be doing, business, sports, um, they feel like they have to, I have to be this, not uh, so much perfect, but heaven forbid anybody knows that I struggle within myself um, because then they might not look at me the same and stuff like that. So I applaud you for a, um, being real with yourself. Uh, how do you, um, when you're in, when your mind is in the midst of wanting to tell you, Hey Mike, you're not enough, or you can't do that. Um, what are some of the strategies that you kind of do right there in that moment that kind of snap you out of it to kind of be like, no, well, I'm, I'm in charge. I, I am enough. I can do this. I think, uh, and, and I've never read her book, but it's a book from Byron, Byron Katie. And uh, I read the first, first few pages and it's just something that she said in there. Uh, I think it was called loving. What is, was the book and the pages that I read was like asking yourself, like, is this really true or something to the extent of that? And that's something I've always, I've told myself. And so when that feeling, maybe it's not a, the actual thought or whatever, but when that feeling, just feeling shitty, like feeling less than has come up and, or is this good enough? Then just like sitting quiet. Cause usually that, usually that's like a thought, right? And yes. so usually it's a head driven thing. And so the first thing is for me, at least is to breathe. And then with breathing comes more connection with my body. And then yes. trying to transfer the thought into my heart space. And then moving the thought into the heart space and then asking the question, is that really true? And then not thinking of the answer, but feeling the answer. And then connecting the heart back to the mind and saying, okay, I know that's not true. I know I am enough. Let's move forward from this energy of a loving place. So I think for me, it's, it's, it's moving from mind to heart and being more compassionate with myself. That's been, that's been a big, like that would be, I would say, like a fairly quick thing. Um, and then the longer process is identifying where does that come from? Like where did that program, pattern, whatever it is, come from? And is it in fact more? Or was it something that I took on from, from society, family, religion, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I just had, and I'll just use this as an example because it's, it's something that's so touching to me right now. Um, I, I now serve a, a specific type of, uh, like, it's like a, a frog medicine from the Amazon. I know that sounds crazy, but it's a combo. And it's a specific type of traditional medicine that tribes would use down in, in the Amazon all over South America for cleansing, uh, both energetically, but also physically. And, 
and I had uh, I was down for two weeks of, of or actually I was actually right back Canada two weeks of intensive training no Wi-Fi no cell service and in one of the ceremonies uh, we, we we had to serve a lot of combo uh, but we also had to take a lot of combo and go through our own stuff you know I was connected back to a time in childhood where an incident happened where a lot of that stemmed from and I didn't realize how important and traumatic that incident was. And I forgot it because most of our life is run by our subconscious or unconscious mind. It's yes. 7% is run by our conscious brain. So I had forgotten about this thing and it kind of came up in one of the ceremonies. And I was like, holy smokes, like I'm now starting to see and connect the dots of how much of, you know, the not feeling good enough or the wanting to avoid like not liking conflict or being a people pleaser, like wow, a lot of that stems from that one instance. So now with understanding that, then going into it, feeling it, and being courageous enough to release it, and in that space with the people there, with the help of the medicine and in my willingness to, to release that, like it, it felt like, uh, like, I'd, like I was carrying like a 30-pound backpack that I could finally let go of. And yeah. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Amazing. Like, oh. amazing. amazing. So grateful. So grateful. Yeah, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I love the mindset and uh, I love listening to podcasts. And I've, I've, one thing I've come to learn is that as adults ourselves, we have to, we have to be okay with kind of almost reparenting ourselves in, in areas that might have, you know, not have been the way that we wanted to or maybe have been absent completely um and then kind of just understanding that our parents did the best that they could with what they knew and how they knew to do it and it can only go so far that we blame them and then it's time for us to go okay how can we now dissociate ourselves with those energies and, and, and those past events and how can we, yes, release them, take courage and release those negative energies so that I can now present my new, uh, my new self, my new mindset. So I love, I love that you brought that up that, yeah, it does. A lot of our um, self beliefs stem from when we were little, whether we've created them ourselves or we doodled and, and, and somebody walked by and was like, fuck, you suck at drawing. And we're like, okay, artist is not what I'm going to be, <laughs> but you love drawing, right? You love doing art, but that one little thing you let connect to what you do and so I love being able to just kind of dissociate and just and and honestly asking that question is that honestly true and for most of the time we always say no the answer is always no so I love that you brought that in that is really amazing um how um not trying to go off topic just so that we can kind of keep moving and stuff how do you um you you talked about routine and stuff but you travel a lot um so how do you get your mind right into a routine when you're home and then how do you bring that routine on the road and how do you like how do you manage yourself so that you stay healthy your mind's right so that you can present and and, and teach your courses yeah i would say it's a constant process of learning like i'm still very much learning how to do it uh i'm getting better and better 
and I would say I do a fairly good job. Like, like when I show up to teach, I, I show up hundred percent. Like I show up to the best of my ability and in times that I feel less than vital, as soon as I come back, like usually after every trip, I have a specific time, like a like even maybe even when I'm on the trips too, journaling, reflection, meditation, like what went well, not just from the teaching perspective, but how I manage myself because my, my job is to truly share support our students out there to be their very best selves in whatever their dream is and if i'm not showing up 100 percent, then you know it's gonna whether they know it or not i can feel it on energetically and that's just not the instructor that i want to be and not the support that i want to be so you know a few things that i do very like that that have been like lifesavers is it depends if i'm traveling domestically or internationally but like arriving ahead of time, like not showing up. If, it, if it's a US flight, it's not too bad. Maybe if it's East Coast, but like not showing up like late in the evening the day before teaching as much as possible for short flights. If I teach international, I'll show up two to three days early, acclimate. So okay. that, that's honestly been a huge thing because it takes time to adjust. Uh, old showers on the road. Uh, multiple during the day, especially before I go teach to help balance the nervous system. Um, if there is a sauna, if I'm staying in a hotel or whatnot, if there's a sauna close by or that I can get into, that's been hugely helpful. Um, some of the other things too, it's like if there's a big time zone change, typically right when I wake up, like I'll try to get on the, not all, like on the uh, eating schedule of that time zone as quickly as possible. Okay even if it means me skipping a meal because of the time zone change. So get as quickly as possible into their, uh, into that zone's nutrition. Uh, and then also doing some type of like cardio first thing in the morning when we're waking to help reset the cortisol rhythm when you wake. Cause running or jog, I'm not going to run by any means from long distance. That's not my style, but like jogging, <laughs> some type of cardio in the hotel room or outside. Um, grounding's been huge for me like as soon as i can like i was just in england teaching and right when i got to london i was staying at a, a house at a friend's house and uh no was home and i went straight to the outside uh i took she had a light kettlebell I took a light kettlebell and for like three hours I active meditation a little bit of movement as well after the flight, and did it pretty much on it just, I felt that by itself did more for me than anything. Like, I felt so much more grounded, so much calmer from the flight, just like more in my body. Um, and so, so for, just um, so grounding that's just connecting with the earth, right? Like, trying to get your like your bare feet on the earth, and is it just so that you're you're connecting like the energies from the from the earth to yourself and is that am i correct with grounding just so that my listeners are like what the hell is grounding is that yeah. what grounding is there there's probably multiple ways you can look at it or definitions for it but essentially the way i utilize it is you want to find some type of natural surface like okay. um, grass is great uh dirt is great those are probably going to be the two best and then beyond that if you only have access to like wood or something that's also good to do grounding or like um, uh, meditation type activity. Then some type of like natural stone can be really good. Concrete's not gonna be really great, but if you did like marble or granite, that's great. Uh, and then the last thing would be like a synthetic surface. 
uh, like a carpet or something like that. You're, you're not going to be able to ground very effectively through that. But you want to go barefoot and then through that connection, uh, one, you are connecting to the earth, but then the earth has a specific charge. Your body has a specific charge. So you can essentially form like um, a lot of the, uh, I think it's what's like negative ions or something like that into the earth. And it's almost like a recharge. It's like a, it's like a grounding, grounding cord and, and like a recharge as well. Just by going barefoot, like, man, just by going barefoot, like, I'll feel not only just my body, but just more energized as well, clearer thinking as well. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I, mean, always, I always feel that, because like, I try and go, uh, like, shoeless as much as I can just because I don't like my feet in shoes. I don't like the feeling of them. I feel like they're all squished, and I just like to be free. And yeah, I love in the summertime if I can when I'm outside in my backyard, besides watching for dog poop, I'm all I'm always barefoot, always barefoot. Um, and yeah, it does. It brings like a like a sense of calming to you without even really having to be like, okay, I'm going to get calm. I'm going to get still. It just kind of flows through you naturally. So I love I love that. Um, and now I just took, I took you way off course by asking you about grounding. Um, how, um, so when you're talking, you're talking about routine, so you get, you get off, you try and ground as much as you can. Um, what else do you try and, and, and kind of do to keep yourself? Do you have any rituals that you, um, speak or do? Do you have, uh, any like specific mantras that you say to yourself? Do you do daily like I am statements or affirmations and stuff like that on road and, and, and at home? Not, for, not, no, I haven't done uh, any mantras and stuff like that. Uh, the nutrition part's super big though. Like that's a routine that like, again, traveling with my food or the first thing I'll do is find some type of grocery store, get some good quality water as well. Uh, so water, food, I do journaling. Um, and the only other routines, honestly, aside from what I said, is I do uh, a good deal of stretching on the road. And okay. so getting back to my hotel room, there's, there's uh, a few types of stretches that I really like. One is a specific type of decompression type stretch called uh, an L-DOA stretch for L5-S1, for the very base of the spine. And it pretty much looks like your feet up a wall. Um, I, think, I think in yoga, it, this is, it's not the L-DOA. In yoga, I think they call it or something similar to it, like the feet up the wall stretch. But if someone doesn't know what an Aldoa is, uh, they don't even have to go into the specifics of that stretch. If literally you just laid with your, uh, your like butt or your glutes touching the wall with your feet up and your back flat to the ground, if you just did that and focused on breathing during it, breathing through the belly, that is like with the legs pretty much straight or as straight as you can. And that by itself, so has been just huge for me. That and then a meditation before bed. Um, with with all of your traveling, your your building of your new program, um, how how do you connect um, yourself in, in in relationships and and not just romantically if, if you are not um, but like with friends family and do you have um, any like 
mentors and, and leaders that you kind of look up to and, and how do you connect yourself and how do you stay connected within your relationships with, with all that you've got going on and, and cause building a legacy cannot be done alone. So how do you tie in, in, in your, in your people? Yeah, that's honestly been probably one of the biggest challenges I've faced because I am gone right now approximately two-ish weeks a month. And then when I come home, like, I just want to chill. And it is, it honestly, it's probably the biggest challenge that I do face. Um, I try, and then when I come home, like, I want to see family and I want to see friends. And so, like, that hasn't, and build my business, follow up and stuff, so that honestly hasn't been very conducive to romantic relationships. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully with more online stuff and traveling a little bit less, um, that would be awesome. But it's been so much about building a brand, building a business. Uh, but now I finally actually feel in a place where like that's something that soon I could you know, potentially entertain. But you know, a lot of what I love doing now is like, especially when I'm home is, you know, doing, like I hate to say like being with my uh, social engagements and so like for example like my, one of my best friends owns a food center uh, and so and so what I'll do is when we get back I'll call my friends and go okay what are you guys doing you know, Wednesday night Thursday whatever all right let's do a sauna together so for an hour we're in the sauna connecting. There's no cell phones. There's nothing. And I'm using that for two things. One, to connect with them with no interruptions. And we both get, a, you know, I, I walk out of there feeling like, you know, recharged from the travel. And so, or I love cooking for people. Like I absolutely love having family and friends over. And so when I come back, you know, I'll try and like just, you know, have invite like a group of them over. And so maybe I won't get <laughs> But I'll do whatever I can um, to make sure that I am So uh, it, it, it's still not been a challenge. But it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go you know, so. um, How... Um... How do you how do you look for a mentor? Because mentors are, are, are to me are, are a key factor in in life, and especially if we're if we're wanting to be a high performer in anything. Um, how did you first off? Who are your mentors besides Paul Check? And you can talk about Paul Check all you want, but who are your other mentors? Um, how did you find them? And and how do you um, find is one of the best ways to mentor somebody so if somebody was like oh I, I would like to start mentoring people do you have any tips and i and, and tricks for people to to help others met, like get get mentored yeah the, the first thing that that, that i looked at because I've, I've had great mentors in, in every in gymnastics my mentor was my coach it usually came to um, and my coach was a two-time Olympian from Bulgaria. And he was like, not only the first person that I saw, like physically was just, just beautifully built physically and like had a routine and a structure for training, but also told us, you know, told me at, I think it was nine or 10 years old to not eat fast food. And it was like, wow, like I learned that from, from him. And, and so, 
And then in powerlifting, it was Louis Simmons, it was the chiropractor, it was the gym owner. Um, in Olympic weightlifting, I coached back for a year on U.S. Olympic coach Jim And so he was a mentor. So it was always like coaches that I was going to with a higher level of expertise and success in that area. Um, Paul was a huge mentor for me because not only had he rehabbed so many hundreds and hundreds of athletes, but what I, you know, what I appreciated most about Paul is for me, at least it's one thing to be great at what you do uh, and have a track record of success. So that would be the first thing that I would look at. Look at the people that are doing what you, that, that are doing and have done what you want to do and who you want to become in those aspects, follow them. And Paul had done that, uh, not only in his rehab side, but also, you know, I'm a Czech practitioner as well. And so, like, I really wanted to rehab myself, but learn from an authentic place so that I can share that with others. But Paul, probably more than any other coach that I've had, uh, lives the holistic message. Like, you hang out with Paul, like, he's eats, sleeps, breathes, and poops his teachings and eating organic and local farmers and standing up even if it means less sales you know, to check and do standing up and you know that spoke volumes to me because like, for as much change as we went through the coaching process I say like I don't think I would have trusted anybody as much to make as much change because I knew what he stood for who he was that he, did what, he wasn't like one person on social media or one person when you teach a course and one person you know, with them as a friend or as a client, it's, there's only one Paul and that's it. Yes. And even now, I'm a part of this, I just joined this like business uh, mastermind group to really build my business. And like, you know, I've been to multiple business conferences, for example, and there's people killing it. Um, but the reason why I haven't gone with most any other conference, I'm, I'm hooked up with Mike Bledsoe, a uh, strong coach, and he's got a master's well. And, you know, one of the reasons why I chose to work with him and his team is because Mike does a tremendous, tremendous amount of inner work, spiritual work, growth work. He's very much into a lot of the same things that I'm doing. He's done a lot of what I want to do. And he's not, I thought he is not about grinding yourself to the bone like a lot of people will be like you got to post you know five times a day on instagram and do this and it's just like dude like i have, i just got back from two weeks of travel like I, got, I don't have much juice in the tank i need to reach out. and mike was oh, like is always about like like coming from an intuitive place doing your personal growth work uh not grinding yourself into a pulp uh, giving from a place of surplus as opposed to a place of lack. And the fact that it's pretty much 50% personal growth development, healing your body, mind, and spirit, and business strategies, that's the type of mentor that I aligned with. And so so I would, I would suggest people to like see who's doing successfully what you want to do, but more importantly, see how they're doing it and how that energetically aligns with your core values because there's plenty of people that can tell you the best strategies for this, this, and this, but if it comes at the expense of personal relationships, uh, your core values, what you're about, uh, what, you know, like what products you want to support, what companies you want to support, then you have to go with that first because you'll always be 
if you're acting against your core values and you're you're acting outside of your boundaries, then you're going to be uh, not going to feel really good with the money that you're making, the people that you're surrounding yourself with. You're going to kind of almost go get into a place of of self suffering um, after after a while because you you kind of lost you kind of lose yourself if, if you're just tagging yourself because oh they're doing this and i want to do that but they also are are nasty people to other people i am um, one one thing i learned this this weekend was um anybody can do anything if if they put their mind to it but it's it's who they are while doing it that really matters and and are they being themselves while doing that and or are they losing themselves to to become this and there's a difference between losing yourself to become a better person and losing yourself just so that you can fit into that atmosphere or or that group of people because that's where you want to be you kind of really have to assess yourself am i belonging here or am i just making myself fit in so I, I, I learned that. So yeah, I, that's one thing that I definitely um, have taken a step back and being like, okay, who am I looking, who am I looking to um, as a mentor and how much are they actually caring to make me a better person? Where are they meeting me? Are they, are they meeting me here and I'm right here, like way down here? Or are they actually taking the time to understand where I'm at and going, okay, you're down here, let me get down there with you. Let me get down in the trenches with you. Let me figure out, let us, let us figure out um, ways that you can move yourself forward. I also love mentors that don't just give you all the answers. They, they make you work for them. They help you dig deep within yourself to find the answers to move yourself forward. I love that. Yeah, we're in, we're in complete in alignment with each other on that one. Yeah, that's huge. Um, so to, to continue with your mentorship, um, you must be a mentor to lots of, uh, lots of people, maybe without even really knowing, um, how, how do you make sure that you are meeting people where they are at and how do you make sure that you become, and you are presenting yourself as the best mentor possible? Man, I like, I think like part of, part of it is, or a large part of it is just being me, like being like, I'm fully, I try as much as I'm aware of to be as fully transparent, open and honest of shortcomings of, again, like what I've shared with you, it's just like, this is me and we're all on this path together. So even though maybe someone might see that, you know, uh, I've done a little more in this area or not, it's like man, we're still all at the same level. Like it's not, you know, I'm maybe asking stuff that I can share and teach based off of my experience, but it's just like, we're all, we all, I, I and this is, might sound cliche, but like I truly do learn so much from my clients and stuff. And a lot of it has to do just with just listening and not listening from the head, listening from the heart. Uh, that's yeah. one thing that I've noticed just about myself. Like I've been always more like a heart centered person and and coming from that place and i do feel like that's really served me you know it's like um and i just try and, and come from that place to listen listen from a place of love and from the heart 
be open and honest about not just the successes, but where I've struggled and where I'm still struggling. And, um, and just trust, like I'm not for everyone or my teachings are not for everyone. Uh, and that's okay too. Like, uh, everyone has something that they can share and offer. Even if you're just like one little step ahead of someone with where they want to go, or it's like you, you can, you know, you can be a mentor, you know, for sure. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's been a huge thing for me. That's really helped me a lot. Um, and I, and I just try and come from that place as much as possible. I, I, that's another thing we're really connected in is one of um, my mentors. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Sergeant Ken. Um, he's a boot camp instructor, but he's actually works for the, the, the Coast Guards out in, in the U.S. Um, phenomenal man. Um, I'm level one and level two certified in him in boot camp. And his, one of his big things is you lead from the heart, you teach from the head like from the mind um and from the very second he said that i'm like oh, i i knew i connected with you for a reason because if if you anybody can take knowledge from a book and put it in their brain and then recite it but if people aren't feeling you here or feeling that you're coming from here they're a half the time they're not even listening a they think you're just uh, they're like yeah, okay whatever know it all because <laughs> you kind of have that that tone in your voice and and then they don't want to follow you they're like yeah they might do what you say but if it ever comes down to it in the long run they're like yeah don't follow that person like they're not really in it to help others they're in it so that they become number one and and everyone's and they're like hey look at me i gave all that information okay. and and you don't want that right you want to you want to come from a genuine place and and yeah and that's coming from a heart heart space not so much always in the mind not that you can't go to the mind but you got to make sure that they're connected i really love that um I know you're you're busy and, and you have places to go. So um, first and foremost, um, I want to acknowledge you and say thank you so very much for all that you are doing to um, create a legacy of really positive impact for the world and, and to all those you you come in contact with. Um, thank you for taking time to um, develop and, and produce a, a program that's going to allow others um, become and work within their selves to become their best selves. So I really like to say thank you for that. Um, I love acknowledging people and, 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 and telling them that uh, what they're doing is definitely making uh, a positive change for the world. And keep doing that and uh, my final question for you just so that I can get you get you going um, is what is your perspective on positivity um, I guess you know my perspective has evolved over the years um, like I used to like my my perspective when I was growing up, honestly, until like recent years ago was like the bliss bunny. Everything's positive. Let's turn this, you know, and uh, you know, that can be helpful, but also if it's not like coming from the right place and it's not like true with what, where you're really at inside, it's like, 
then that's just a false sense of positivity. That's just a false sense of security. And so, um, you know, what I've really tried to do over the years is just develop more self-awareness. And then from that place, like, look, look for the beauty in every situation, um, for sure. And I think that can be a positive aspect, but, but at the same time, allow oneself to be where they're at and feel what they're at because it's like if something shitty comes up the natural no one wants to feel shitty like nobody likes to feel shitty uh natural instinct is like i'm gonna be positive i'm gonna turn this thing around and i think that can be great but allowing oneself to be there for a certain amount of time and feel that so that as you move through and beyond that you truly move beyond that and then that pattern doesn't, or that occurrence doesn't reoccur, right? Uh, so um, I guess my, my, I don't know how I would sum that up, but like my, my perspective is just like being open and honest and aware with where you're at in that moment and allowing oneself to feel what one's feeling. And then from there, uh, find the beauty in everything. And, and I think gratitude is probably the most like useful tool in like authentic, like like positivity that can really do something for you beyond just like superficial positivity. Like what we're talking about is a deeper sense of positivity as opposed to, you know, when you run into someone, like even a close friend, you're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And then you definitely know they're not. Great. Um, yeah. It's especially on like social media today, because that's all that people see is the super, mostly the superficial positive side. Um, yes. So I think it just would be, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's checking in with oneself and allowing, allowing myself to feel what I'm feeling and then finding that beauty in that. I like that. And, um, I have like, well, my wallet this weekend, that was a perfect example. I was trying so hard because it, I, I realized it in the morning, but I still had the whole day of a, of a mastermind to go through. So I was like, Okay, how, and I'm really, I'm really huge on, you have to feel your emotions because if you're trying to only dim the dark ones or the negative ones, then you are naturally dimming the light ones too. When you do feel love and joy and stuff, you're dimming them as well. You're not fully experiencing either one if you dim either of the two. So I was trying so hard to be like, okay, feel this emotion, but a, don't be a shitty person. Don't turn into a shitty person. But feel, feel this emotion, but also try and be present so that I'm not, I'm not in my mind going, oh my God, where the fuck's my wallet? Oh my God, I'm all of this stuff that I have to do now. And now I'm missing the connections with the rest of the people that I'm supposed to be masterminding. I'm missing amazing value and information that the speakers are giving. So I was, I was trying. So I was right there with you, like with you in that perspective of being like, okay, I need to feel this because it, it, it's happening and there's no denying it. I can't say that it's not happening. My wallet is nowhere to be found. Um, and frustration is the number one feeling I'm feeling right now, but how can I feel this and, and turn it into an energy that is going to serve me? And I just, I, I felt the frustration. I cried a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I, cried. I was like, ah! my mentor that was there um, just sat with me. Just, just wasn't like, oh no, don't feel that. It was just 
just sat with me, allowed me to feel that emotion. And then afterwards it was like, all right, are you okay? Is your, is your mind clear? Let's move forward. Let's get into this mastermind. Let's start connecting. There's nothing we can do once this time's over. We can go back and we, and, and we talk to the hotel managers and stuff like that. But missing out on this mastermind because you're so frustrated and, and too busy wanting to talk to the hotel people that have already told you that they don't have it is not going to serve you at any purpose. So I was really... I really had to do that, feel it, figure out how I can turn that energy into um, a positive energy so that it serves me the best. And, and I got really, um, I got really in tune with myself on how um, it's really easy to, to turn into your, not, I want to say, I like to say my worst side, my, my negative side, when things are going not so quite as you want them to. And I've been really trying to focus on being my best self in those times, because it's really easy to be your best self or present your best self when everything is going great. And the weekend was fantastic. And I, it's easy to do that so that when that happened it was like okay how can I be present how can I feel that and then move forward and and still be a good person throughout it all and and I today's like I said today's a new day and I just got to move forward and and do what I need to do to get my ID and stuff back but uh I really love that perspective um because that's really keen because a lot of people are just like oh yeah find the beauty and everything and yes that is very key but if you don't feel what you're feeling, you're stuffing it down, mm -hmm. like you're dimming it. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, that was my final question. Um, thank you so very, very much for your time, your energy, and for all of the extremely valuable information that you have not only shared with me, but for my listeners. And I would love to stay connected with you and to keep this conversation going outside of the podcast. Oh yeah. You're so welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and where are you off to now? You're, you're, well, you're off running after uh, me and you get off. I've got a flight in a little bit to uh, Boise, Idaho. I got three. I got three trips in the next like ten days, ten twelve days. So, and I just got back last week uh, from uh, near Canada. So, yeah, I'm going to Boise, and then I'm taking five days vacation in Hawaii, and then I'm going to all over Texas to teach. So, it's uh, yeah, it's a full, <laughs> it's full on right now. Wow. Um, do you ever come to Canada? Like, have you been to Canada? Do you come? Do you? So actually I'm in talks right now to potentially, I should know in the next coming weeks to come to Toronto to teach in, uh, in late January. Um, I'm not, I'm not positive yet. So I'm, I should be finding back very soon. It look it looks promising, but I just got to find out some details first. Amazing. Um, where can my followers find you? Where can they find your mastering the kettlebell course? Um, where can they can they reach out to you? Um, let let my my listeners know where they can uh, get get at you. The best place would be to go Instagram. I'm most active. I'm not super active right now on Facebook. Uh, I don't really have I have a YouTube channel, but I don't use it right now. So Instagram at Mike and then uh, you can look at Mastering the Kettle at programs.mikesalemi.io, not .com. 
And uh, yeah, definitely reach out. Shoot me a. I'll get. It depends on travel, but I try and I try and respond as, as quickly as I can. And uh, if anyone's interested in mastering the kettlebell, shoot me a message. I'll get the discount. Just mention you know uh, you were on the podcast, and uh, and I'll, I'll get I'll get you hooked up for sure. Perfect. Um, well, thank you once again so very much. Um, I really enjoyed our time. It was great to actually connect because we've been just on and off through Instagram. Um, I love following you. So yes, keep doing what you're doing because you're making incredible positive impact in the world. And uh, I, I, I'm enjoying it and I'm enjoying myself uh, watching you and, and I'm loving the kettlebell stuff. I still have to get my part, uh, not well, my, I would say my mentor, one of my mentors that are here, I've been trying to get him to do the kettlebell workout that you and Paul did. He said he was going to, and then we didn't end up doing it. So I'm going to get at him. I'm also, I love the, the work that Paul does during the rest, like the, the work and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. that could be a whole other topic and a whole other podcast, um, because he's phenomenal in and out of himself. And, uh, so once again, thank you. Enjoy your trip. Um, enjoy your learning and especially enjoy your vacation in Hawaii. Definitely take the, that time to uh, release some of this uh, overload energy that you, you, you carry while, while traveling and stuff. So thank you so very much, Mike. You have an excellent, excellent rest of your day. Thank you. Take it easy. Thank you. Bye. Well, my friends, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mike. If you did, please give me a review, give me a like, share it on Instagram at Sparkplug Wellness. Tag me, tag Mike Salami. Let us know what you think. And once again, I want you to always know that I appreciate you. I love that you take the time to listen in. And remember, I'm sending you lots and lots of positivity. And now it's your turn to go out and send it to someone else and give it to the world around you. Thank you.